The first reading is from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 15, verses 9 to 17, page 1083 in the Church Bibles, page 1083, John 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. The second reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, page 1000. 139. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is the word of the Lord. There's a story um, about John friend of Jesus, close friend of Jesus, when he was very old. And uh, they used to have to carry him to church, to the meeting. He was so old. And they'd ask him to say a word, you know, he's a friend of Jesus, he's one of the apostles. And, and he'd say to them, little children, love one another. And, and then, you know, he'd go off again, presumably, Next week you come back, they'd say to John, 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 give us a word, give us a word. And he'd say, our dear children, love one another. And he'd stop, you know. And and after a while, they became a bit irritated by his constant repetition of this love one another. And they said, John, why is it you just say love one another? You know, what's going on? And he replied, because it is the Lord's commandment. And it's if alone it is kept, it is sufficient. It is sufficient. 
love one another. And Jesus is recorded by the same John in John 15, 12, which we heard read to us. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, as you probably gathered this morning, we're going to be thinking particularly about love. So let's pray for a moment. Lord, it's hard to love like you love us. Our love is so limited. May these few words in this talk this morning help us to love better and to your great glory. Now the outline for this talk, which is two verses from the Bible, verses 9 and 10, is very, very simple. The first verse is about love in our front line. That is what we do during the week. That may be childcare. I was just chatting to someone just now. They're looking after their children, a very important job. It might be at work somewhere. It might be you're looking for work. It might be you're a student. It might be in a school. Whatever you do during the week. So that first verse 9 is about love in your front line particularly. And then verse 10, which I won't have time to talk quite so much about, uh, is about love in the family of the church amongst people who um, are trying to follow Jesus, like us, most of us here this morning probably, trying to follow Jesus. And it's about the love we share as a family, adopted into God's family. So the first part of verse 9 tells us love must be sincere. So it mustn't be hypocritical. It mustn't be fake. It must be genuine. Now, do you think that this Adidas cap is genuine? I know Eddie's got one like this at home. He hasn't really. I've got one like this at home. I haven't really. It doesn't look very genuine. That eye doesn't look right, does it? No. It's fake. But God's love isn't like that. God's love is genuine. And we want our love to be like God's love. We want it to be genuine. And when Jesus met people, generally, I think they realized, that's why they flocked to him, they realized he was genuine. He wasn't fake. And his love wasn't genuine, was genuine and it wasn't fake. When he died on that cross, he showed that love that's not genuine, it's not fake. He, he was willing to die for us out of his love for all of us. That's what God's love is like, and it's genuine, it's not fake. Like John 3.16, the the verse probably all of you know backwards and inside out, for God so loved, God so loved the world, that's all of us, everyone in the world, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love is genuine, it's not fake. And he shows his love in many ways every day to all of us. And sometimes we can miss it. Um, So I think it's a good thing to try and watch out for what he's doing to help us. But he allowed his son Jesus to die on that cross, which we come to remember in a few moments. He allowed him to die to save all of us because he loves us. He loves everyone. He wants them to be experiencing eternal life, a taste of it now and full eternal life beyond our our death when we will rise to be with him. God's love is real, it's genuine, it's the real thing. And he wants us, of course, to show that same genuine love to others. So that's what we're thinking about. But I I have a question, because I'm not very good at showing love. I'm not good at love. 
I find it hard. Uh, And this question has occurred to me, and it may well have occurred to you too. How can we love someone genuinely, sincerely, without hypocrisy, without pretending, even though we may not particularly like that person? If we, if we kind of pretend to love them, aren't we just being fake? Are we, are we, you know, are we not being genuine? How can we do that? How can we ensure our love is genuine, like God's love? When we find a person in our workplace or our family, wherever, difficult to get on with, or even someone in church, difficult to get on with, aren't we being fake in pretending to love them, you know, is, I think that's an important question. I I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but it's something that occurred to me. Now, the Greeks, very sophisticated language, and they've got several words for love. There's at least four, apparently. And if you look at the word used here for love, it's the word agape, which you may have heard of before. It's agape in the Greek, and that's what the word Paul uses here, agape. And when Jesus talks about love that he's about to show when he dies on the cross to save the world, he again uses this Greek word agape. Agape is a love that's unconcerned with the self, unconcerned with me, and more concerned with you, the other person. Right? Now, my default position tends to be I'm more concerned with me than I am concerned with you. So this is a reversal. Agape love it's not concerned with me, it's more concerned with the other person. It's more concerned with them and their greatest good. John records John fifteen thirteen, which we heard read, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. These are familiar words, aren't they? But that's that agape love. That's what Jesus is up to. He's more concerned about us than his well-being. That's why he died on the cross for us. This agape love doesn't necessarily mean a nice fuzzy emotion, nice warm feeling inside towards someone all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Because, for example, say in your family, I'm sure there are sometimes members of your family that drive you up the wall. You get annoyed. They're irritating. And I'm sure I'm irritating as well to other people in my family. But we still try and show love and goodwill and benevolence towards them, don't we? We try and make an effort. And the reason we do this, maybe, is because we understand in that context that our love is not entirely dependent on our feelings. They're family. It sometimes reflects our feelings, sometimes it doesn't. But that doesn't mean it's not genuine love, agape love. So we can act towards someone in a loving way, even if we don't, at that moment, feel that warm, fuzzy, loving feeling towards them. And that's being genuine, it's not being fake. Now, I heard, I heard someone the other day, and they were very brave sharing this. It's very personal. And, and she said that she'd always been, you know, put down by her father. He's always very, very negative towards her. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's a horrible feeling. But that's what he was always like with her. And so, you know, naturally, I think this is what we do. We kind of back off, don't we? And she sort of kind of started putting him more and more at a distance, and moving away from him. And then one day, a friend of hers said to her, yeah, but, you know, if you don't show love towards your dad, how's he ever going to show love towards you? No, someone's got to do something here. So she decided, even though she didn't feel like it, she decided to try and make a greater effort to love her father in her actions and her words. 
And the amazing thing was that when she did start to do this, she felt more loving towards her dad. And then he responded, and the relationship greatly improved and is now transformed. It's so much better. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's a wonderful thing. Not, not, go on, not, please. I want to know you're still there. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you. I think it's wonderful. So what, what, I was thinking, what was going on here? Well, I wonder if the woman's decision to love, to show that agape love, that's what it's about, agape love, that's unconcerned with herself, unconcerned with me, more concerned with the other person, in this case her dad, and she was concerned about his greatest good. I wonder if her decision to love was kind of amplified by the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, if you've got one of these things, you know, through the wonders of Bluetooth, you can, you can transform the tinny sound of your phone and you can get a speaker about that big and it gets the bass out and everything, you know, amplifies it and you can really get... Don't you do this? <laughs> You're so boring. I mean, I do, I do this all the time. But you can amplify the sound of that little phone into your speaker and it sounds a lot better. And, and I wonder if the Holy Spirit kind of does that with love. If we take that first little step, it's a little thing like that little phone then the Holy Spirit amplifies, amplifies, and makes it a beautiful thing, much bigger than it was, that love that was there. Or another way of looking at it is that the Holy Spirit kind of builds upon and strengthens uh, those feelings of affection so that they develop, those feelings of love. So they do come eventually. But first of all, you might not feel a thing. You just have to make that effort. And With God's help, though, I think he often just helps you even to take that first step. And if you, listen, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which Eddie read some of it earlier, it says at the end, love never fails. And I love that bit. Love never fails. And, and that reminds us that love is the way to go. In the long term, it doesn't fail. For you think of Jesus, you know, he, he was really put down by a lot of the religious leaders, wasn't he? They, they didn't like what he was saying, what he was doing. He was a threat to them. And, and so basically... They got fed up with him in the end, and they, they killed him. And um, they got him on the cross, executed him by various means. They wanted to get rid of him, those religious leaders. And yet, after he rose from the dead, if you look in Acts carefully, it says that a lot of those same priests who were all involved in that, they then, when he'd risen from the dead, they decided to follow Jesus. So Jesus bore that fruit out of his agape love, dying for those people, and then later they became Christians and followed him. Those same religious leaders. Not all of them, but a lot of them. It says a lot of them became Christians. So Jesus' love did not fail. And you can see the fruit Jesus bore in loving people with this agape love, even people who were his enemies. He bore that great fruit. And talking of fruit... Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So he's saying the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I think it could be a semicolon in there, but they don't have that in the, in the Bible verses. But it, it, love is, is joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all kind of part of love, aren't they? So that's the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit who Jesus has given us who follow him, 
helps us to love and to feel love. Whereas before we decided to follow Jesus, it was much harder. That was certainly true in my case. Much harder to love. I'm very, very much still a learner in, in trying to love others. So if you find it hard to show love to someone, then ask God to help you through his Holy Spirit. If you find it hard to put up with people who are irritating, I mean, people are irritating, aren't they? I'm irritating. If you find it hard to put up with people, ask God to help you. If you, if you don't always want to be kind to others, like the fruit of the Spirit says, if you don't want to be gentle towards others, if you don't want to exercise self-control and refrain from being negative all the time about other people, then ask God to fill you with himself, his loving self, his Holy Spirit, and he'll help you with these things. Like Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But I think we often need to take that first step. We've got to be willing. God won't force us to do stuff. We've got free will. We need to take that first step, and then he will build on that. And in doing so, we're not being hypocritical, we're being genuine, we genuinely want to love, we're not being fake. So God too, I think, works through his spirit in helping us to take that first step, just as we can't become a Christian without God's help. And he helps us take further steps on our journey through life, maybe till more of a feeling of love developed, just like this chap here, taking his steps through life. And Paul writes about that too. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You can imagine Jesus walking alongside you, or the Holy Spirit filling you, walking with you through life, helping you to love. So let's now move on to the second part of that verse. So we've only done the first part of the verse. It's slightly frightening, isn't it? There's so much in this. I'm sorry, but it's just so much in it. So the second part says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And when Paul says hate evil, it means to dislike, abhor, have a horror of evil. So part of loving is hating, abhorring, disliking, having a horror of evil. Now I don't know if you know, but recently, sadly, there was some anti-Semitic graffiti on the bank, Barney's Bank over there, and locally in some other places. Uh, it was just before World Holocaust Day. And so some people, local people, we got out there on the green and we, we basically had a, a sort of little demonstration of solidarity to say, no, this is wrong, this is hateful, um, and it's not okay to put this stuff up all over the place in the local area. This kind of thing's never happened here before. It's not okay. And... Um, in doing so, I think that was an act of love in support of the Jewish people who were the main focus of this hateful sort of philosophy. So it was standing up against hate, but it was also showing love. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Part of love is hating, abhorring, having a horror of evil. It's not standing by and ignoring evil. And as you probably know, uh, back in 1790 to 1830, around that time, you had... The Clapham sect, with William Wilberforce being the person most people have heard of, there's a film about it if you want to see it. It's a good film. And they brought about the abolition of slavery over that period of time. And they, they saw slavery as an evil. They abhorred it. It had to be stopped. 
So they worked towards that, and they, they showed love for the people who were slaves, who were made in God's image, who God loves, in stopping it. And they did stop it. It went through Parliament. It became illegal. But that actually cost the nation an awful lot of money. And parliamentarians sitting in there were making money out of slavery. So in passing the law, it cost them a lot of money. There was a cost involved. And of course, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He overcame all the powers of evil for all of us at a great cost. We often say that, don't we? But it cost him his life. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So in our daily lives, in our front lines, which is the focus of this verse 9, in fact all of our lives, hate evil is a reminder to us that part of our discipleship, our following of Jesus, is actually to stand up against evil, whether it be in the workplace, the family, wherever it is. There may be a cost to doing so, though. Just as it cost the nation a lot of money to stop slavery, it cost Jesus' life. There's a cost involved. And it may be also that we have to use judgment and guidance from the scriptures and from God as to what things to actually say, no, I'm going to put my feet firmly in the sand here and I won't move any further. I'm going to stand up against this because you can't do it with everything. Otherwise, you'd be going around pointing the finger all day. So you have to be guided by God. But I think our general direction of travel as we walk in step with the Spirit through life is that we should stand up against evil. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So let's think about that clinging to what is good now. Let's move on to that. Paul encourages us to focus on what is good, to cling to what is good in our daily lives. And that primarily, of course, means rejoicing in a good God, the source of all goodness. Now, I said it at the service before, and Eddie and Chris were here, so they can't answer, but I'm sure they know this. What verse do you think I'm now going to quote? Come on. It's so obvious. It's obvious to me because I've written the sermon. Come on, now, if you're talking about good, rejoicing the good, you know, I've given you a word now. Come on, what am I going to quote? Oh, yes, yes, shout it out, shout it out. You've got it. Shout it out. Oh, you're, oh, you're cheating. <laughs> Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Thank you for being so honest. <laughs> Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But, anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. Then he says, finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's got something here, hasn't he? And I think he's giving us a simple formula here for our daily lives where, to show, where we are to show that gentle love. Rejoice in our good God. Pray about everything as you walk through life in step with the Spirit. And pray for everyone as you go through the week and focus on what's good to keep your spirits up and also to develop the right attitude. That Paul's got something here, hasn't he? 
Now, I, d- I don't know. I worked for many years in teaching. I don't know if you know. I used to work with someone like this. You know, you come in day like this, and you say, "Oh, what a lovely day! I've had such a lovely cycle ride in to work up the canal. It was beautiful. It's all sunny, marvelous." Yeah, and they say, "Oh, yeah, it's going to rain later, isn't it?" Yeah. <laughs> Do you know anyone like that? But this is, Paul is saying, "Be the opposite of that. Be the opposite of that." We've all got different personalities. Obviously, some people veer more that way than others. But try and be the opposite of that. And I don't think we need to be dishonest in our view of life. We should be aware if there are problems or difficulties. We shouldn't pretend. But generally, I think Paul rightly encourages us here to focus on the positive. And it's too easy to slip into a negative worldview because you're fed it constantly by the media. You're fed it by social media and often you're fed it by people around you as well. This negative, oh, this is happening, oh, isn't it awful? It's all like that all the time. And I think he's asking us to think differently. He's saying, rejoice in our wonderful God who made us all and be gentle towards others, keeping a positive frame of mind by clinging on to what is good. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I'll say it again, just like we had that read twice by Edmund. Paul says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So, sum that little bit up. Let's hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And now it really is brief now, this last bit. Okay, let's look quickly at verse 10, which focuses on love in the family of the church amongst people who are trying to follow Jesus. And it says, be devoted to one another in love. That's all of you sitting here. Be devoted to one another in love. And the first thing to notice here, that it's not agape in this verse, right? It's a different word. The Greek word used for the love we should show one another in the church is different from verse 9. In verse 9, it was agape. In this verse, it's Philadelphia. And I know you'll say to me, oh, someone laughed. That's a city in America, which it is. It's also cheese, I thought of later. But it means brotherly love, or it means love between a parent and a child, that kind of love, family love, right? That's what this love is. So it's different from verse 9. And that's the kind of love we're meant to show in the family of the church. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, and you have questions about whether you want to be in this family, God's family of followers, then do speak to me already afterwards about it. Do do that. Don't, Don't miss the opportunity. But anyway, Philadelphia is a city, but it's, it's talking about family love shared in a family. And part of that love is being devoted to one another. And Jesus says the love we show one another is really important as it shows others, maybe outside the church, what God is like too. John records in John 13, he's, you know these words I'm sure, a new command I give you, love one another as if I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is Jesus speaking. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, it has an evangelistic effect. It's a witness to others if we love one another. Do you see what I mean? It's evangelism. It's a witness. It's powerful. That's what Jesus is saying here, I think. Now let's go to the second part, which says, Honour one another above yourselves, on one another, above yourselves. And the meaning here has a sense of anticipating each other. It's a bit like the lights, right? 
Now, you shouldn't do this, but our cyclists often do this because you're worried you're going to get hit by a car. So you get on your bike. I think I mentioned cycling in the last sermon, didn't I? Sorry, Eddie. I just wandered off onto cycling again. But you want to get away quick at the lights. That's why I have that little box there because you don't want to get hit. You want to anticipate the lights almost, but you just wait till it goes red and yellow and then off you go, right? You want to be quick, get away. And that's what it's saying we should be like in anticipating each other, taking the lead in showing love and honour to one another. Don't wait for the other person. You, you anticipate. You be the first to do it. That's what it's suggesting. That's what the word suggests here. So the way we're meant to love is to show love, honour and respect to others without waiting for them to show it to us. Right? Don't wait for them. Make a quick getaway at the lights. You, you do it first. That's what it's saying. And that has echo, echoes of that agape love we were talking about with that example with that lady with her, her dad. She, she did it first, didn't she? She didn't wait for him. And it also has echoes of Paul's words, which I quoted earlier. But we might adapt them to apply to people. So he could have written, whatever is true in a person... In another person, whatever is true in a person, whatever is noble in a person, whatever is right in a person, whatever is pure in a person, whatever is lovely in a person, whatever is admirable in a person, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I think that should be our primary attitude, our first reaction to each other as we honour one another above ourselves. And of course, if someone... In the scriptures it says, if someone is obviously going the wrong way, we are meant to restore them gently. But our primary attitude should be this one of honouring one another. So what a great two verses. There's all that in those, and there's more. I, I know I've only scratched the surface. So let's just read them together slowly to finish, and then we'll have a bit of silence. Just let them sink in. Let God work, speak to you as you read them. And just try and absorb them and ask him to help you to love like this, just in these two verses. So let's say this together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves.